Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Get ready for some awesome. Yep. You're, and he's back. People have asked, where have you been, Jonathan? And I told him, I was like, he's, he's in Arkansas. They only have internet during the fall and the spring. In the summer, it's too hot. <laughs> the satellite dishes get, uh, well, I mean, because in the summer, they're used as swimming pools, the satellite <laughs> dishes you guys have. And so you could use it. I but wish. we're on the other side, and we're, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember those big old satellite dishes? Oh, like yeah. Across? <laughs> yeah, Those totally are amazing. <laughs> How many of those are near you? How many do you drive by to and fro work? Uh, a couple. I passed a Tesla though yesterday. In really, yeah, on the road that I grew up on. It's like, oh How my! How many charging stations are? <laughs> yeah, they're a, they're host. It's totally a status <laughs> thing. They've got, they've had got their own charging station because there's not a single. There's nobody else driving a Tesla. Okay, all right. Uh, summertime in Arkansas. Your first one back, and how was it? It was hot. It was really hot. Um, the I feel like you're setting up something here. No, I don't have anything. Oh there. yeah, it was it was good. I you know coming from I had a study break at Highland, and this is my first one to get to do at PV, and um, it was really good. I feel like ready to go. Um, read a, read a ton. Um, yeah, and then we're remodeling my old house still. So. Wow. It's been a full you, summer. When you were at Highland, we did the Christians Make the Best Atheist series, and study break went to Greece. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should do Christians Make the Best Atheist part two, and we'll go to like Italy this time. Okay. I, it was fun. That was so much fun. I, I completely agree. So um, Just do the Roman you, gods <laughs> instead. <laughs> you think anybody at Westover would be like, hey, this feels familiar. <laughs> I know that people that forget sermon stuff like three months later, but I think they might. I think I think it's honestly three years. I think three years, it's fair game. Now, I have some stories that I've told more than that. Uh, actually, I have a story that I've told within like within six months, and then I go to my lunch group, and I'm talking about an idea. I say, oh, yeah, it's like the story I told. And they're like, what story? And I go, well, this one. Yeah, I've never heard it before. And oh. I was like, you... okay, I guess I'm telling it again. So... My associate preacher at Highland, Zane, he would get so mad because the only I would tell a story like two years later, and people would you know laugh or respond or whatever, and he would be like, "Come on, you you guys don't remember you bunch of sheep? He's reusing <laughs> the story." And I think the only people that pay attention are preachers. Yeah, no, no, I I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think it's fair game. So, like I said, uh, Christians make the best atheists. Part two, Italy. Uh, part three, I guess we'll do one in um, the Polynesian Islands somewhere. Um, <laughs> for for some they're, they're reason. Yeah, there are. And then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be atheists in, I don't know, you know, the Bahamas. and Oh, actually. Bahamas? Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard. Didn't mean to bring that up in the wake of the hurricane. Oh, yeah. Well, people are used to uh, your jokes being a natural disaster, so it's just kind of on point. <laughs> that was quick. That was quick. Yeah, Touché. That's what I'm here for. That is what I'm here for. Uh, well, Johnny, it's it's good to have you back. Uh, there was uh, I saw somewhere on the internet that there was a, a assumption that you're holding out for more pay, but uh, I want everyone to know for any pay, I give for any pay. No, I, no, I pay you in uh, in feed, so I give you uh, feed that you can use for your pigs or your. Pig <laughs> I would take that. I, I okay. this is totally non reimbursed. This is just <laughs> helping a friend. A poor, mm-hmm. poor friend, mm-hmm. and I, you know, uh, even helping doing yeah. the sponsorships. Okay, I thought about bringing my own sponsorships in. See, there's, there's your internet. It just cut out again because I think someone's oh. swimming in it. Um, <laughs> okay, what I think we should do now? Swimming in the satellite. Uh, that's the end of the episode. <coughs> we've got a mailbag. Uh, we've got to get through. We've got a handful of questions that we're going to work through, Johnny. And um, I'm are assuming you. Ready to do you this? Yeah, I'm assuming you brought me on to keep the kind of orthodox perspective. Mm-hmm. And by orthodox, we mean um, backwoods. But it's still helpful to have you here. So let's do the first one. Okay. Um, 
This is by a gentleman named Kyle, and the bottom of there's a lot of initials after his name, which I don't know what they mean. Uh, <laughs> but there is the title principal consultant. Do you think that means like they consult principals, like he's a, in in education, or I don't know what that means. I think he's the principal of consultants. So, so like he, he's their boss. He keeps like, them in line. You go to recess. Nope, you're in detention. <laughs> That's right. It's, uh, I'm, I didn't go to school, so I don't know what they did. <laughs> all my, all my frame of reference is Glee and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> so <laughs> They look very oh, stern, well, I know. <laughs> but that, wait, when your mom was teaching, she didn't like put on like a, a special hat and then all of a sudden go from <laughs> mom to teacher or something? Yeah, I played uh, good cop, bad cop. Hey, I know your teacher's being real hard on you this week, but you'll get through it. Thanks, consultant mom. Or counselor mom. Yeah. That's what it was. Counselor. Count- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. I, there's many benefits of, uh, of homeschooling. I'm sure that's just one of them. Um, I mean, obviously, if you have a teacher hitting on a student with homeschooling, it's, oh, it's even gosh. really weird. But, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that because you're from Arkansas. I'm just saying that would be weird. It's weird anyway. People shouldn't do that. But nevertheless, uh, Kyle, the principal consultant. I'm guessing he's in the medical field, based on some of these initials. That's my final answer. Okay. Uh, This is a long one, but uh, as the consultant of all principals, we should expect a very thorough question. So here's it. Here it is, or at least most of it. I have a question for your, quote, mailbag. Why why do you put mailbag in quotations? I feel like that's kind of... I don't understand that. Anyway. uh, Here it is. Uh, I grew up in a conservative Church of Christ home and was steeped in the idea of sola scriptura. Jonathan, what is the, the phrase sola scriptura? mean only scripture scripture alone and it comes from who luther um yeah trying to cut through all the traditions now as you know this is the idea of looking to and only to the bible for guidance on how we build our doctrine and theology a year ago i left our cfc for the episcopal church for many reasons now side note uh jonathan i don't know if you know this but as of sunday I, myself, Luke Norsworthy, have been deemed an honorary Episcopalian. <laughs> they came across the street. Uh, my good friend Merrill came across the street as a way to say thank you for hosting the ordination of the uh, Episcopal um, like new bi- bishop in Texas, or one of them. Uh, they came over, brought uh, me and Scott Warren, a guy I worked with, a uh, book of common prayers with our name and honorary Episcopalian engraved on it. Pretty special. So... I'm perfectly suited as an honorary Episcopalian to answer this question. Okay. Okay, so he quickly learned, this is Kyle, the principal of consultants, quickly learned the Wesleyan quadrilateral, or Methodist quadrilateral, and the Anglican three-legged stool as basis for theological and doctrinal development. Now, Jonathan, can you break that down, what the four parts of the Wesleyan quadrilateral is? Um, well, actually, reason and experience, and what would the third one be? Are the scriptures? Uh, well, no. Um, so, so the fourth one. What would the fourth one be? Bible, reason, experience, um, and tradition. It, yeah, tradition, history. I believe. I okay. feel like we could probably Google this right now. But it's basically the idea that scripture alone, not just solo scripture, makes a decision. But it's that we're influenced by all these other things. Yeah. Now, I think the the critique of solo scriptura is that everyone is using our experience our reason, our tradition, as part of our interpretive uh, process, whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah. And the critique right? of Sola Scriptura would be that uh, it's not biblical. How is it not biblical, Jonathan? Uh, okay, think about Acts 8. Church of Christ, we're big on the book of Acts. The Ethiopian mm-hmm. eunuch, who when we get to heaven will be like, I was also a royal treasurer. Why couldn't you call me that? <laughs> 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 but um, <laughs> that's so true. Um, I, you know, he he's riding along in his chariot, and the Holy Spirit sends Philip to do a high speed Bible study. And um, the question he asks is, you know, how, how can I understand this? So we've had uh, that idea that the Bible is clear, and if you just dropped a New Testament down in any place in the world, they would open it up. And they would suspiciously create an assembly that looks like it's from the 1960s in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the idea was we, our reason and our tradition, was, our lenses were so thick, 
we could not see that what we were actually reading in the Bible, we were putting there. Yep, yep. And, and yep. so the Bible actually talks about reading the Bible alongside somebody else, not just on your own, um, somebody to help you kind of think through what it means, the bigger picture it's telling, those kind of things. Yep. Yeah, and you obviously have the story as well of Peter up in Jaffa, Joppa, who has the dream about the unclean sheet that comes down with all the unclean animals. Mm -hmm. And this would have been, again, scripture for him. He has an experience. Uh, He witnesses the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Gentiles, which is kind of the point of the dream. And then he has uh, scripture. Then all of a sudden, he rereads scripture in light of his experience and uses reason. And you know, obviously it's very short-term history, but is what's happened over the last few years or few days or weeks with the Gentiles. All those things are used in Peter's experience to some degree. And so, yeah, it's not biblical. Okay, back to the question. Uh, this three or four pronged approach argue, here it is, scripture, tradition, and reason, and the Wesleyan add Christian experience. Okay, there you go, scripture, tradition, experience. Yeah, we're pretty close. Produce a more balanced formation of theology and doctrine. As a lifelong solar scripture, this was mind-blowing and immediately illuminated all the problems that I'd seen uh, over my years in the Church of Christ, non-denominational, den- uh-oh. He's throwing shade at Churches of Christ, <laughs> saying that we're non-denominational, denomination, come on now. What? That is not a very principal thing to do. There's not a lot of... You know what the principle that is? That's the principle of being rude, okay? <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. Uh, it also illuminated many of other problems I'd seen. Okay, let's face it. This is a long question. Um, uh, I believe one of the reasons that churches are dying is because of our 2,000-year-old uh, scripture alone can only be stretched in so many different ways to work for the cultural needs of the day before it loses elasticity and breaks, but that statement alone is heretical to, to many. I'd love to talk to you, or I'd love to, for you to talk about these different views and how Sola Scripture churches can learn from these different perspectives. I think uh, what he's trying to say, or I don't know what he's trying to say. Uh, what I would want to say is that I think Sola Scriptura has helped move past some of the short-sightedness of what was happening in the church 500 years ago. It's been helpful, but mm-hmm. like you and I just discussed, it doesn't paint the full picture of how God works in our life. Now, I think that Scripture is the leg that we should lean on heaviest to some degree. Yeah, like, I don't. Wouldn't wouldn't uh, like Wesley have said that? Or I mean, N.T. Wright would. N.T. Wright, I feel like would. Wesley, Tom Wright, Luke Norsley, all of us say this. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. I know Wesley's dead, um, but but yeah. So th- it would be the one that that you prioritize. But obviously, there's a lot more going on with just how we understand things. So, um, I, you know, Chesterton has that line about tradition is the democracy of the dead. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to think about the, uh, tradition. They get a vote. Yep. They don't get the entire say. You know, mm-hmm. um, I do think that. Sola Scriptura was really healthy for me growing up until you started seeing the resources that were in the Christian tradition that people have thought through these things before and um, letting that have a conversation on how the church fathers read the Bible or um, the stuff that they said about... Because I do think there's a lot of stuff in in history about that that is really relevant to us today but if you throw out tradition, um, you miss a lot of like you're you're reinventing the wheel and you make a lot of mistakes. How, how would you differentiate the short sightedness of tradition that makes us feel encumbered, like we have to do this because this mm-hmm. is the tradition, and letting the wisdom of those who've gone before us speak to us? Let the great cloud of witness over the last two thousand years have a voice in how we're understanding today. Like, how would you say? Okay, obviously the abuses of tradition is over here, but this is the, the beauty of tradition. Oh, well, I do think it's kind of, uh, what, what's the terminology? A living tradition? Um, it's it's in negotiation with the present and also the future, God's good future. So, you, you know, a Christian should never say, I mean, Christians of all people in the world should not, should recognize that God can always do a new thing. Like that Acts 10 story that you just told. I taught that today in our senior saints Bible class, and I said, you know, if I was Peter, I wouldn't do it. I believe the Bible too much to obey God. And I think Christians, if we're going to keep Acts, especially Church of Christ people, if we're going to keep Acts at the center, then one of the things we got to realize is in Acts, the greatest enemy of the church for a season 
was tradition. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's a great reminder. This, um, this past week I went somewhere. You, you might notice a difference, but I just went to Brian Zahn's prayer school. Because uh, you probably skipped could... it at Pepperdine. No, come on now. Um, I, I feel like if I went to part for multiple, it, it counts as one. Nevertheless, but <laughs> Brian Zahn's statement that uh, he, I don't know if he came up with it, but it's, I've heard him say it the most, but the idea that Christianity is not a created religion, it's an inherited one. It's passed down to right. us. Right, that's right. And I think it's nice to always couch what we're doing is like, we're not the first ones. Mm-hmm. And to have humility to know that the great cloud of witnesses existed before our time and that they need to have a, a voice in it. So, okay. I think we got that one consulted on. We got it pretty solid. Okay. This next one is from a gentleman named Mason, whose phone number is underneath his name. Uh, do you think we should list out his phone number in case anyone wants to uh, follow up on it? I think anyway, that's a very Luke Norsworthy thing to do. <laughs> Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> it's in character. It's in character. Okay. Mason, who's... Uh, it text, if you... How about this? If you leave a really great review on Amazon for my book, I will... Uh, I will send you Mason's phone number. That's the deal. If you go buy a new copy of the book, leave a glowing review, and in the bottom say, I want Mason's phone number, I'll send it to you. Okay. Now, here's... Jonathan, this is going to be a tough one for you to hear. Um, It's going to be really hard for you to hear this one. But, question is, why is or isn't Calvinism wrong? Jonathan, as the the resident Calvinist on the show, I, I know it's hard for you even to... To consider to confront it. the possibility <laughs> that Calvinism could be wrong. Yeah. But why is or isn't Calvinism wrong? Oh. Man, I am not a Calvinist, so I have no invested interest. For now. <laughs> that, well, I mean, who knows what God's up to? Everything's let's say Okay, let's do this. Let's do rapid fire. Say one nice thing about Calvinism. Tim Keller. Okay. Uh, there's one nice person in Calvinism, according to Jonathan Storman. His name is Timothy Keller. Okay, I'll, okay. Do, no, I'll do it for real. I love the language they use about God. Let's make much of God. This is all about God and God's glory. It is not about, mm-hmm. you know, in a world of megachurch pastors and, you know, celebrity pastors, um, it pushes against that. I, I do appreciate, especially Keller, on, um, I think they have a language for human uh, evil that rings true to my experience, that even the good stuff that I do is tainted by um, wanting other people to think well of me. or And, and there is something that, I, I, that rings true to me. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, one of the things that you don't see on Preachers and Sneakers, the beloved Instagram page, which uh, decries some of the materialism that is uh, prevalent in the Protestant clergy. You don't see a lot of Calvinists on that. Huh. You're not going to see. You're not going to see Calvinists up there. I don't think. Um, yeah. Now that's the, like on your bucket list to be on that, isn't it? I mean, I, talent respects talent. Um, <laughs> no, I do. I would never wear shoes. That cost that much, especially if even if I did have a pair of very nice shoes, I wouldn't wear them on a stage at church. I think that's immoral uh, for me to do that. Nevertheless, um, why is or isn't Calvinism wrong? Here's my brief answer. And again, let's go back to Brian Zahn. His line about Calvinism is that it is the best succinct theological system that we have about God. The only problem is it's wrong. Yeah. I think Calvinism does a great job of creating a nice, cohesive, systematized view of the divine. The problem is, I don't think the divine fits within systemized boxes that we create for the divine. I think Calvinism is a great introduction to faith, but the more that you walk in, you realize that they are trying to sell you a meal that they actually would never want to stomach. And I Hmm. think the Calvinists that I know would never be the frozen chosen who don't believe that their actions actually make a difference. And the Calvinists that I know would never be apathetic about telling people the good news of Jesus because whether you're elect or damned, it doesn't matter what we do. That's never played out in any Calvinist I know. The the, the biggest caricature of some of the evils of Calvinism, the Calvinists that I know don't live into. So Mm. 
I think in the way that all of us are inconsistent, many of the Calvinists that I have been fortunate enough to know are inconsistent in the very best possible way because if you go to the very ends of the idea that you know God has defined everything and everything is regardless of our volition, but God has predestined every little detail to happen, therefore we, we don't have involvement or role, like that is not played out in any of the lives of Calvinists that I actually know or have been around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I think... The for a season, there's this when when I first heard, for example, John Piper at Passion uh, when I was 22. You know, there was it was man, this guy makes a lot of sense, and don't waste your life, and mm-hmm. um, you know those those kind of things were compelling. But <clears throat> I I do think okay, so the quadrilateral thing that we just answered for Kyle, the principal consultant. Do you think Calvinism puts more weight on reason? Hmm. You know, like needing it to make sense? Well, you know, Calvinists are, while their read of Scripture might not be the same way I do, I think they would they would be closer to, you know, Scripture in the way they interpret it to being sure. the heaviest, the heaviest of legs. Um but I think a lot of it is obviously an attempt to make a rational argue, argument for who God is and how all this fits together and to make a nice cohesive piece. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would say that that is definitely a uh, a big part of it. I had uh, <laughs> I ha- so I have um, another book that's coming out. We just <laughs> finished up like the uh, the cover discussions with the publisher, yeah. and one of the options was similar to a book that they had published. Uh, that was written by John Piper, and they send it to me like, "Hey, take a look. This is a John Piper." And I was like, "I, I know you're sending this to me, hoping that <laughs> you're going to warm me up to this idea, but is actually not doing what you're intending this to do." Um, nevertheless, in my lunch group, which I just finished up for this Sunday, uh, someone quoted John Piper, and it's actually going to get worked into my sermon that he had like a, a really great idea about something. So, um, while Calvinism isn't a school of thought that I ascribe to, I think there's a lot of godly people who are inconsistent in the very best possible way mm-hmm. who are within Calvinist, Calvinism that I think present a, um, a helpful message for, for Christianity. But I do think... Yeah. And there are brothers Calvinist and sisters in Christ. I mean... But what I, yeah. But, but what I was going to say, like the, what I think is the most damaging part is the way that they would interpret theodicy. Like God and suffering, I think, is just the, the most problematic part of Calvinism, and I think that can be the biggest attractor for people to um, to view God as loving and gracious and theodicy. I think you'd also put in some of the atonement theories that um, you know make God out to be like God needs to exert God's wrath to be just. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, so th- those are the short short sided parts of it. But I think we've covered Calvinism. You ready for the next one? Yeah, I am. Okay. This is from a gentleman up in Michigan. What's the part? You know, the people live in North Michigan, like Uppers, isn't that what they call them? Oh yeah, it is. It's Uppers. uppers. I don't uppers. Know. Is that Upper Pencil? Pencil? Say it. I can't say it. It's in my yeah, mind. You can. Keep trying. What? Pence. What would your counselor or your uh, teacher say, oh, or your mom? Whatever you want. It it starts with I know. And then I c- peninsula. 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 Upper Peninsula. Oh man, that was tough. I could Let's read say, it. Hmm. I, my phonics brain was not putting it You're out not there. Not hooked on them. Not hooked on that. <laughs> yeah. So the Norm from Upper, I don't know if he is, but I think that'd be cool if he was. Never mind. Luke, <laughs> Protestant churches seem to emphasize the many scriptures that indicate salvation by faith or by believing. But there are many scriptures that indicate that what we do or how we live is also quite important, even to the point of Revelation 20, verses 12 and 13 indicating the final judgment is based on what we have done. Another example, Jesus indicates that if we have not been kind, we will go into eternal punishment. That is a reference from, you want to guess what that is, Jonathan? Uh, is he talking about? No? Okay. It, is he talking about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25? Yeah, 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 you got it right. Okay, never mind. Okay. How will our lifestyle or established character impact our situation in the age to come? Thank you, Norm from Michigan. The, okay, so what I sense is 
there is a great deal of reaction to what happened 500 years ago that Martin Luther referenced, the idea that our works earn our salvation. Yeah. And so we have swung the peninsula, see, I said it now, the pendulum or the peninsula, either one. Uh, It has been a massive moving of land, like a peninsula being moved, so that we have gone to the other extreme. And so it's like, you know, we're all saved by grace. And I believe we're saved by grace. And many people come out of a legalistic environment in which there has been an understanding that God is only happy with you if you attend church three times a week and, and you, you, know, you listen to the right kind of music and you do this and that. Okay, so once you can get on the other side of that argument, my response will be meaningful. But there are many people, especially in the traditions that you and I, the tradition you and I are both a part of, in which legalism is such a big concern that uh, these Matthew 25 texts and others like that, like Revelation 20, um, are... are uh, are hard to stomach because all we think of is I've got to do good enough for, for God to like me or to, for me to be good with God. But I think, I think even Tom Wright does this in, um, maybe it's after you believe, but the idea that like what you do really matters, yeah, that it, it carries significance, that it's not as though you say a prayer and all of a sudden you're good with God, but it's that God genuinely cares how you live your life, yeah. that you are God's creation that has been given a good purpose. So do something good about it. You, you've read Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Ch- chapter I, 2, I, I, Gospels of Sin Management. Yeah. Yep. I, uh, I love that book. That was a game changer for me. And that chapter in particular was a game changer. How so? Why? Um, just, you know, there, there's one group of people that says uh, we got to fix the world. And there's another group of people that says it's all about personal salvation. Um, and G. And neither group are really interested in being apprentices of Jesus. Like, Mm -hmm. that Jesus actually thinks he can make you like him. That you can become the kind of person that's full of the fruits of the Spirit and knows how to respond and how to live life with joy. And um, Ultimately, Dallas Willard goes on to say in that book um, that God is going to let everyone into heaven who can stand it. And I, that little sentence has resolved the tension that um, Norm from Michigan is bringing up. Okay, God lets into heaven everyone who can stand it. Yeah, Explain he goes, that. He goes on to say, but standing it might not be as easy as some of those bitter, lust-filled, hate-ridden Christians who get their um, conversation talking points from uh, the newspaper or their recent political battles, uh, standing it might be a lot more difficult. I've often wondered, and this is off the top of my head, so the quote is a little bit loose, but uh, I've often wondered how useful those people would be, how much joy they would find standing in the unrestrained fullness of God. Hmm. That basically, so in other words, the metaphor I always use is God's going to let, if you're a racist, God will let you into heaven. You just won't like it. Because there are going to be people from every tribe and every tongue. A brown-skinned man is going to be sitting on the throne of the universe. Um, That basically you're practicing now to be the kind of person that belongs in heaven. You are saved. You know, you you don't have to work for anything. It's all grace. Even the fact that, I mean, Dallas Willard goes on to say, like, um, people think that, um, you know, horrible people burn burn grace he said no not true saints go through grace like jet fuel that they're burning it because they're becoming this kind of person it's the fuel to become the kind of person god wants you to be forever and uh, i think if you kind of superimpose on the bible the question all right how do i get into heaven after i die i mean the bible is interested in answering that question but that's not the main question of the story of the bible and, um, but when you read it as though that is the main question. It changes. It distorts the story a little bit. Yeah. And so then you get in these faith versus mm-hmm. works sort Which, of Which, you know, Luther came by honest, obviously. Like the Catholic Church was selling salvation in that day with indulgences and stuff like that. So he's got good reason to react. and. Um, he, yeah, I mean, that, that, there was a, a reason for that, for that voice to be... To be heard and, and required but uh yeah but when you get stuck in this sort of binary is it faith or works well okay no but 
uh, for us, it's not just Luther. It's you know, for many of us in our tradition, are, are so steeped in this. You know, if you don't, if you're not a good Christian, then, then God's going to disown you, and you're going to go to hell. That for me, it's almost been. I, I feel, especially now, one of the biggest eye-opening things to me about coming to Austin is how many people that I met in my uh, lunch groups who made comments about how they were still living in the aftermath of legalism Mm -hmm. and when that has so colored your experience you need to hear god has grace and you are loved just as you are and so the the other conversation about what you do matter matters it's hard to even get to that one because the the pool has been so so poisoned by by legalism which would be i guess like the tetanus that poisons the arkansas swimming holes (laughs) of the uh well let me say this because i'm living i'm living here right now i mean Part of the call to come back to Arkansas was to be able to preach what you just said. Gospel, you're saved by grace, um, not of your own stuff. But uh, and, and it's not like people here have never heard that before. But one of the things that is beautiful about it be, that being a little bit of a fresh word is that people do all the right things. You know that quote? I think you actually quote it in your book, the T.S. Eliot quote. The last temptation is the greatest treason. Mm-hmm. Do you the last that? and greatest, the last and the greatest treason is to do the right thing for the wrong reason. That's it. I love there that quote. Yeah. I think yeah. I think legalism often uh, ruins something wonderful because it gives people the best way to live for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? No, so you don't you don't go to church because hey we're saved by grace and you don't show up for each other. Like you're not taking care of each other, and and you know, so it. This is genuinely, I think, the way of Jesus is the best way to live. And Dallas Willard yep. would say, we need to tell our kids, and if you can find a better way, you need to take it. Because yep. if we don't tell our kids that, then we produce a generation whose hearts, who know how to honor God with their lips, but whose hearts are far from Him. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. No, that's good. That's good. Okay, we've got another question. All right. Okay. Uh, I just listened to your episode number 155. Uh, side note, John, I'm, I don't actually, like, number my episodes. Like, some people put, like, oh, this is episode 320. But, like, iTunes does that, so the episode number changes, like, every week because there's another one that comes out. Anyway, huh. uh, I, I just listened to your episode. So, like, why, do, why would you care of which number the episode is? Like, oh, I listened to 274. You know, like... I just, I don't know. I, I've never cared about that. Anyway, never mind. Um, <laughs> our friend, listen to the episode with Stormo. Do you like that someone called you Stormo, Jonathan? What? Um, yeah. Your episode number 155 with Stormo. I, I assume this might be a friend from down under, because that's kind of the Australian thing to do. Stormo. They do. They like that. Those people. They, they like that. Um, and you said that you had not heard a, quote, good, or a good, quote, progressive Christian argument for abortion choice. Quotation. End. Uh, I had not heard one either until the Episcopal Church. Oh, see, that's I'm an honorary Episcopalian. I should know this. Uh, ooh, released their stance, and I thought it was good. Just thought I'd share it with you. Uh, so here's a link to it, and um, obviously it's a lengthy position that I'm not going to read in its entirety. Uh, but here's one paragraph, which probably is pulled out of context, but maybe it gives us a picture of what they're saying uh, in a series of statements over the past decades. The church has declared that we emphatically oppose abortion as a means of birth control, family planning, sex selection, or any reason of mere convenience. At the same time, since 1967, the Episcopal Church has maintained its, quote, unequivocal opposition to any legislation on the part of the national or state governments which would abridge... uh, That doesn't mean like they're building a bridge to walk over, (laughs) but it would prevent... um, Or deny the right of individuals to reach informed decisions about the termination of pregnancies and to act upon them. Um, Skip down a couple paragraphs. We continue to advocate that legislating abortions will not address the root of the problem. We therefore express our deep conviction that any proposed legislation on the part of national or state governments regarding abortion must take special care to see the individual conscious is respected. Okay, keep going going on. There's a lot there. If you want to read it, you can go to theepiscopalchurch.org and find it on their website. So it seems to me in my brief reading of this, that the idea is that uh, it's not their place to get in the legislation of abortion. Um, 
All right. Um, Jonathan, you and I have an Anabaptist influence in us in as yeah. members of the Church of Christ, which means that the jump to making legislative-type conversations doesn't uh, come naturally to us. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that's very fair to say. Although, I will say, my family, even though my parents were, you know, very much part of Churches of Christ and, and didn't prioritize politics at all, my, I remember my mom uh, pretending she was pregnant and going into, like, abortion clinics when I was a little boy to put uh, anti-abortion material in the thing. No. Nope. She's always been a little feisty like that. How did you pretend to be pregnant? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Like, put it the pillow, pillow of the tum tum. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, whatever. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Now, uh, okay. So, if the argument is <coughs> we don't feel like it's um, that they don't so, want to work against legislation to change making it not legal. I mean, uh, I guess. That, uh, That's not really. You want to do th- counterpoint, counterpoint, or whatever? I would. Okay, you take the. I, which side do I got? You go first. I'll just take the other one. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I do feel uncomfortable about this. I feel like the next two two guys talking about this. We should we should cover what God's teaching us through menopause no, next. But but two white guys in their thirties is a very unique voice on, <laughs> it's on podcast. Real rare. It's real rare. Not a lot of those. So. so now we're going to mansplain abortion? Is that is that mm-hmm. it? Okay. So what it means is to... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this will go over great. This will go great. We're doing good so far, yeah. 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 Okay, so I think if I was going to... Um, I mean, my instincts are all there. Like, the church is the hope of the world. Don't do the... But I guess I would go with the slavery argument. Like, yeah. um, William Wilberforce... Um, if he wouldn't have gone to legislation to make slavery illegal, then it would have yep. always kept happening. Yep. I, the first time I thought of changing uh, uh, a perspective about voting or not voting was when I saw someone making the argument to a, an Anabaptist pastor who said that, yes, but you voting makes a difference on this. And that's how our country works is that you're supposed to. And so um, I, I kind of lean towards what you're saying. Like, I think there is a place for working with legislation to be a part of the process of justice, of making the world right, and our country creates an environment where that is something you can do in a peaceful, nonviolent, civil way. And to to elevate that as the the goal or the only solution uh, to how to deal with problems, I think is a bit short-sighted and out of the purview of what the church should be doing. But like you, I, honestly, I'm not doing a counterpoint here. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if that's something, so, I, I don't, I don't know it, if that's a pill I would swallow. Bad metaphor, <laughs> I get that. But, here, 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 here would be my Anabaptist thing that I, because I really do believe this. James Davidson Hunter wrote a book 15 years ago that is incredible called To Change the World. And in it, have you read that book or heard of it? No. Well, his big thing is basically that our our we have a school on the other side of the wall, and so you're what, you're you're picking what up. What is a school? Every, is it does that just mean like there's a family? Because I know families <laughs> no, and schools are the same thing. Central Arkansas. Arkansas Christian is here, so every day I get the joy of getting to see like hundreds of kids and it's they're getting out do you of find yourself time. becoming nostalgic or just like a little sad because you didn't have that experience i missed out going to school? i missed out i find myself trying to learn about what school is like by looking in and giving high hey, fives little one, what was that like <laughs> yeah did you learn anything yeah so james davidson Hunter's book to change the world he says the problem that we currently have right now is that the politicians and institutional leaders that we have uh, in society have been created by churches that were too invested in those uh, means. And so they do things for political gain. They do things for power. And you don't have people who have been... Fo- so he's talking to Christians, obviously. Um, he said changing institutions matter, but the re- the problem with the people that we are producing is they've been too politicized. They mm-hmm. think it's too important, and so they can't actually 
serve what they think is so important well. And I Mm -hmm. think the Anabaptist critique is a fair one because I I come out of church and I don't think Washington, D.C. is going to bring the kingdom of God. You know, I don't, I think no matter what laws get passed, people are going to, I read in the New York Times this a couple weeks ago that uh, with the rise of abortion legislation um, getting stricter and stricter in places like Alabama, that there's been a huge percentage uptick of p- women buying abortion pills from China, which, you know, is obviously much less safe. And safe, wow. I mean, I think that's that shows the faultiness of. Again, I, I get the argument of legislation, but I think it shows the faultiness of you can't legislate most of the human heart. And I, I, doesn't mean I'm I'm very much against abortion, but you can't legislate the human heart. And mm-hmm. and when you start <clears throat> thinking legislation is the ultimate goal, then it it's easily misconstrued to think that the church is against those who've had abortions. Right. And then them becomes someone who's done something that, you know, maybe they have guilt for, maybe they don't have guilt for, whatever, but still it creates an us versus them. And mm. I, I feel like there's a tension, and, you know, I'd have to learn more. I'd like to actually get a non-honorary, but an actual Episcopalian to help me understand their, their policy a little bit more. But um, it's a tough situation, It's great, and, and I'm grateful that there are churches who are, you know, trying to do their best on a very, there's a very, it's, it's a very heavy subject that mm-hmm. Christians need to have a voice in, but the way that they have their voice is very important that it needs to be the right way. Yeah. Okay, uh, so those are the mailbags. I, you know, you, you didn't get to have a, a wrap-up for August, and I know there's probably a lot burning on your soul. Um, <laughs> there's so many things I need to fix. I don't know about that. Um, Glenn Packiam, do you know that guy? I love that guy. I don't know him, but I've I've uh, fought. he was one of the first people I followed when I got on Twitter. Really? Yeah. Um, Who are I, the other first ones? Yeah, I think you. Uh, I, we got on. Did we get on Twitter at the same time? Oh, that's sweet. It was, I wasn't it? I, I don't know. I started following you about like I think it was last year, but it's been. <laughs> it's been okay, so he's one of the first ones. Why was he one of the first people you followed? Um, well, I liked him. Early on, I, I liked him because he was a good communicator about things that I would... I mean, we, we were all in that the wake of Rob Bell, right? Like, just, wow, this is a different way of thinking about Church, God, Jesus, faith, all that. And he struck me as one of those kind of people. But then he started going on this kind of progression more towards where we are, which is more sacramental. And, uh, I mean, you heard it in that podcast. One of the things I loved about that was him talking about this, the New Life Church, uh, which is like 10,000, 15,000 members in Colorado Springs. Um, they've started having weekly communion. Yeah. And I was like, hey. So the reason for it, I thought was amazing, is in the wake of Ted Haggard and kind of the you know celebrity pastor scandal thing, they realized we were putting too much weight on a person. person. Yeah. What a great what a great problem we've never had. Well, I guess some people. The the, the Ted Haggard uh, problem is a substantial one. <clears throat> that was quite a predicament. But uh, but yeah, it, I don't. I know mean, okay. So I'm even if to... you stink, even if your sermons stink, even if uh, you know you're you have a heart attack and die, church is still going to happen, and. Church is not a failure on any given Sunday. Sacraments. Yeah, because yeah, that's not the main show. The main show isn't the sermon. God speaks through it. It's important. but And I love that. I mean, I loved hearing somebody outside our tribe making a case for it that I would never have thought to have made. <clears throat> yep. No, no, it's good. It's good. And uh, speaking of people outside of our tribe, Jason Michelli, uh, I feel like you and him would be friends. Have you, do you, have you met him? No, I wish I wish I was I wish God could just transport you out of my life and put him in it in your wow. place. Feel oh, the Luke. No, no, listen, hold on, hear me out. We're, you're still Luke. You're just not Jason. And I never knew I never knew the other guy. Hmm. I think we'd get along hmm. really well. He's the shadow side yeah. of you. <clears throat> Yeah, okay, that's that's one way to, to say that. <laughs> I 
I quoted him in a sermon a couple weeks ago, and to get his book to be quotable in a sermon, it took a lot of revisions. It, there, <laughs> Just, there was a lot of work to get it down there. And even then, it was still people were like, whoa, that was a little much. But nevertheless. <laughs> because of like swearing or whatever? Yeah, he says the dirty words, as you would call them. Yeah, he, yeah. But I guess if you're Methodist, that's kind of the thing, you, the price you pay. I mean, you, you have to wear those clothes, but you get a curse in church. So, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I, to each their own. Oh, man. I, I love, I, I think I told you this uh, offline, but for years, I've worked with college students and college age students, and I've had, I don't know, a hundred times parents call and ask me if I could give them a resource or if I could talk to their kids about why living together was bad. And um, I know it's a play on <clears throat> play on words, and that's not what the main thing is about, but the point he made about not being able to... It's a sham relationship. You're not truly vulnerable until you, you're in a relationship that you can't yep. get out of. Mm-hmm. And um, his thing on being really strict on who he's going to marry, I totally resonate with. Yeah, I, I never really thought of it in the same way that he has, but he's right. I think that the quotation I used in the sermon a couple weeks ago was the idea that if, if your wedding vows are based on how you feel, uh-huh. instead of on the liturgy, which points you to the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you're in trouble because a relationship based on how you feel is always going to be short-sighted because yeah. none of us are always going to feel feel the way that we we did when you got married like that's just how it works i know my wife still feels that way but most other people don't did she don't... hate you when she got married <laughs> she had regret for the minute she met me she's like i could have done better i could have done better but uh you know i'll just take one for the team um you know whatever um okay yeah so that uh it's a good book the uh peter butter falcon movie which have you seen the movie yet no, I, uh, that sounds really interesting. Yep. It's about a Down I, syndrome boy. Uh, it's a, uh, it's about the story. It's like the 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 friendship of basically two, three, really three uh, people that all have their struggles and they're all going through their own sense of loss. And um, obviously, Zach's character and and the actual Zach actor named Zach has Down syndrome, and that's part of the struggle that he has of not being treated as an actual person. Hmm. And then, hey, how did you get? Why did they want you to do that? Was it is this like a Christian movie, like Fireproof no. or something? <laughs> no, it's not fire. I don't think Shia LaBeouf is going to be doing any fireproof movies. No way, he's in it. Yeah, he's the he's the uh, the other lead along with Zach, and then uh, it's the girl who I didn't realize. You probably know this movie, but it's the Fifty Shades of Grey actress. Why would I? I do not know that I, movie. I know you like that movie. Like I know that you've you told me it's one of your favorites, but I have never seen that those is, movies. Okay, but. Pleasant Valley people, that is false. That is false. <laughs> I tweeted something about it, and there was like a bunch of retweets from like all these like Fifty Shades like Twitter feeds or something. I was like, "All right, didn't see that one happening." But um, oh. the, uh, the how did it happen? Uh, the there's a publicist that they're working with who who uh, reached out to me, and uh, he actually said, "Hey, there's a screening in Austin at uh, Alamo, um, which is a great movie theater here, a local place, and." Uh, that uh, you go to it, a special screening, and I was like, it's during an elders meeting. So I had to skip a special screening of the movie because I, was, because I got to go to an elders meeting, which is the only thing more exciting than going to a movie. But um, anyway, they, so they reached out to me, sent me a screener, I watched it, and um, yeah, it was, it was fun. I think having to do a podcast about a movie is so much different than doing a podcast about a book. Because a yeah. book, there's information that you can discuss and kind of go back and forth. But a movie is is an experience. It's a story they're telling. And it's hard to really parse out and, and discuss in a whole lot of nuance an experience. The same sure. Way. Yeah, so I, I, I get that. What I don't get is why they reached out to you. Like... Why wouldn't... Because, I mean... Because you do, like, Christian pastor author stuff. What... What made them think, you know what, the niche that we're really missing? Because in the same month, you had this one with like, uh, you know, John Walton. and Barton. Barton. Oh, yeah, Barton. I, I felt like it was too close to the John Barton that we know. thought that yeah. was wrong. 
Yeah, um, Prof- a retired a professor emeritus at Oxford University, and on the Bible in the same month, you're talking about the Wellhausen hypothesis, which is super nerdy, by the way. Sorry, it's too big of a thing for you to understand, but I understand the Wellhausen hypothesis. Here's what I think: I think everything is spiritual, and that all truth is God's truth. Oh There's beauty wow! And that high technical erudition over biblical interpretation and the history of the Bible. There's also beauty and And I think the gods aren't angry. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And then I believe in the zimzum of love. (laughs) I I believe that love wins. Hmm. You know, I believe... What is the name of the Bible book? Dang it, I forgot. Um, Never mind. Okay. Uh, Obviously, you're the one with a restraining order from Rob Bell, so you'd win that game. But yeah, whatever. I had the, them on. They liked it. Uh, I liked it. I'm, I think uh, if you yeah, saw it was them, a good interview. You'd like it as well. Yeah, you're, you're a good interview. All right, Jonathan. Um, thanks for coming on the mailbag. I feel like yeah. I what comes up next? Um, the next one, Jeremy Courtney, another podcast oh, yeah. from Iraq. You know, I like to do the Iraqi mm-hmm. podcast because I feel like that's a demographic I need to grow into. So that was a good conversation with him. Did it a couple weeks ago. Uh, he has a new book coming out. Uh, probably do another. Um, I think I'm going to do another one of uh, another something I was writing. I did one a couple weeks ago, and I, uh, I think I might do another one of those coming up. And then uh, we've got Tom Wright coming up uh, oh, yeah. next month. Is that and for then, his November, re- that book he's releasing in November? Yeah, I forget the name of it. It's sitting over here somewhere. But And then now, do you know a guy named uh, Co- Comer? Brian? What is his name? Um, I have the book right here. Oh, it's John Mark. I have a friend named Brian Cromer. Not that guy. John Mark Comer. Oh, yeah. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Anyway, so uh, those are coming up. Cool. Richard, Richard Beck's new book is coming out, too. I think he'll need to be on the podcast. I have pre-ordered that book for the last, like, three months. It's Johnny Cash. We were going to go to his boyhood home in Arkansas together, but it never worked out. I just really? went by myself. Hmm. So you haven't read it yet? <clears throat> oh, what a jerk. I, I, yes, Richard, if you're listening to this, would you send me the book so I can... Put this arrogant oh. jerk. No, I, I think I just need to read it because he asked me to um, endorse it. I guess I can ask you. But oh uh, my goodness! <laughs> oh, that was awesome. That was well worth it. Anyway, um, John, it's great to have you back on. Yeah, it's good to be here. Okay, bye bye. See you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norris. All right. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.